Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, it's Allison. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm super stoked to have an interview today with our guest who's coming to us all the way from Edinburgh. She is Dr. Elizabeth Cripps. She's a writer, philosopher, mother, and an activist. She's a former journalist and currently a senior lecturer in political theory at the University of Edinburgh. She has written extensively on climate justice and parenting ethics for an academic audience. And she's also published two popular philosophy books, the first was called What Climate Justice Means and Why We Should Care, which was with Bloomsbury uh, in 2022. And then the book we're going to be talking about today that's just come out with MIT Press in 2023 is Parenting on Earth, A Philosopher's Guide to Doing Right by Your Kids and Everyone Else. Elizabeth has written opinion pieces for The Guardian, The Big Issue, and done various radio and podcast interviews, including the BBC and WBAI, which I think is out of New York City. Welcome to the podcast, Liz. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to meet you and to learn more about this um, uh, body of work that you're writing about. Um, what, what was the inspiration for this second title? Well, I've, I've written, as, as you kindly mentioned, I've written and thought about climate justice for a long time. I've Teaching it. So these global emergencies that face us aren't, aren't new to me, but I became a parent 10 years ago and suddenly it became sort of visceral to me in a new way. It became urgent to try and make sense of, of what it means to be a good parent when we're raising children in this very uncertain world. And in fact, a lot of people have told me that they've decided not to have kids because they don't want to bring a new person onto the planet that is uh, still plagued with pandemics and, you know, eco-anxiety and wars and, you know, whether colonialism is being collapsed or reinvented again, I don't know. But they're just sort of saying, I'm not having it. I'm not passing this legacy on. But you and I both did. We had kids. So, you know, what what do we as parents who realize that is the reality? How do we stop from being depressed <laughs> and get on with doing what needs to be done? Well, I think it's about rethinking what it means to be a good parent. So in, in countries like this, um, I'm in, in the UK, um, we tend to think of being good parents as focusing on our own children in a very individualistic, often very consumerist way. I mean, we tend to think that obviously, yes, it's about spending time with them and that's crucially true. But we often think it's about buying them things, giving them economic opportunities, shoring up their future financially. And actually, in the world as it is at the moment, while we're doing this, why we think we're being good parents by, by throwing all these, these toys and goods and opportunities at our, our own children, what we're actually doing is missing an opportunity to act together to save them from a much bigger problem, to save them essentially from these global catastrophes which, which are facing their generation. So I think we do have to overhaul it and say, well, no, being a good parent isn't just about what I do to and with my own children, although that matters crucially too. It's also about what we can do together, the way we can use the incredible power that we have as parents, and we do have a lot of power to change the world that our children will grow up in. So do you hear this common 
uh, argument back was I completely agree with you on all of that. Um, but as I'm dealing with parents in a private clinical practice, when I'm trying to get them to understand that um, it isn't just about their kid getting A's so that they can get into the best university so that they can rise to the top, be the cream of the crop. And that's what success means. And if I don't provide that to them, they fail. And I fail the parenting report card. And my kid's academic success and stature is a reflection of my capacities. They they kind of say back to me, but the world is competitive. So don't say it isn't. And if it's competitive, then let my kid win. And it's a hard sell to say that it takes a village and that we have to think of others and that that isn't necessarily the the right pathway forward. That's a tough sell. It is a tough sell because of the society that we live in and the psychological influence, which you will you'll know about, that that has had on us and the way that we need to change ourselves psychologically to move forward. But I do think it is something that we have to accept. I mean, I'm coming at this from the point of view as a, as a moral philosopher, and I think the problem with that point of view is twofold. I mean, one is that actually, yes, our children do matter to us more probably than anything else in the world, and that's understandable. But that doesn't mean that they're the only things that should matter to us. So actually, you know, yes, it's important to give your child a good life, a decent life, but that doesn't mean you don't also have responsibilities for other children who are suffering in other parts of the world. So I think we can make that argument anyway, but then there's something else that, that I try to say in the book, which is that it's it's also about getting it right for our own children. So so it's all very well to say, well, I'm going to set my children up to thrive in this capitalist world where it matters, you know, that they get the internships, that they get the grades at schools and so on. But actually, if we look at the future that we're creating for our children, even children in, in privileged societies like ours are actually facing climate change and terrible impacts through that. They're facing the possibility of future pandemics. They're facing the possibility of um, antibiotic resistance, they're also living in worlds and societies which are fundamentally deeply unjust. And that's actually bad for everyone. So I think we owe it to our own children, as well as to everyone else, hence the title of our book, to try and think about how we could do this differently. And so, so as we take the charge of saying we have a ethical or moral uh, obligation to get the premise across that, you know, all boats rise together, you know, that we need to we need to link arms and being individualistic might have gotten us some privilege along the way. But does it, it does that really work in the long run when you realize that your kids just as susceptible to covid or to um, uh, climate disasters as everybody else? We really do have to think we're, we're sort of forced circumstantially to, to grow our thinking. Um, and, and what I love is that you're saying there there is tools along the way that you're not just saying think this way. You say that there are tools, props, guides, because this is going to be a completely new way of approaching things for a lot of parents. Like in, in Illyrian psychology, we call it social interest. Um, Gemeinschaftsgefühl is the original German word. It gets interpreted in a lot of different ways, but this speaks very much to what you're talking about the doing it is different than the thinking of it. So so given that your training and your background, how did you find the philosophy um, piece and the psychology piece all cobbled together for you? 
Well, it was really interesting for me because I was writing the book partly as an academic, partly as a parent, but also I used to be a journalist. And so I was very much drawing on those skills as well as my academic skills and really trying to absorb myself in the psychological literature, which isn't my own my own area of expertise, but reading widely in that, interviewing climate psychologists, interviewing parent activists, and really trying to bring those together. So the book is, is a kind of combination of, of these moral arguments and my own parenting journey and these insights from, from other disciplines. I don't think it's something that I can just sort of swoop in as a philosopher and say, I've got all the answers because, because of course I don't. And I, I think as, as a philosopher, as a moral philosopher, I can say, well, look, the, the psychological explanation, the reason that we are acting as we are is there, it's clear, you know, we're caught up in this short-termist consumerist society, which has taught us to think and act in certain ways. But that's not the end of the conversation. We then have a kind of moral responsibility, if you like, to do what we can to change that. And that's what in the last chapter of the book, I really draw on on the psychological material and think about the ways in which we can help ourselves to, to change. Can you give a concrete example so people know kind of what content they'd be digging into at the uh, towards the end of that book? Great. So yeah, so I talk I talk sometimes about the kind of moral tools that we like need and sometimes about the psychological tools. So when when we're talking about kind of well making choices morally, I'm talking about things like well, yes, sometimes these are difficult choices. You're trying to weigh up some things that it seems really important to give your child now and maybe spending more time and money on them versus spending more time and money on this kind of collective project of, on being an activist, on donating to NGOs and all the other things that you can do. And then I say, well, you know, this is, has to be about recognizing that this is this is a long game and it has to be about ring fencing the things that really matter, keeping some time for yourself and your relationship with your children and for their development, and then asking questions like, for example, if my child could look back on this pivotal, and it really is a pivotal moment on planetary history, what would they rather as an adult that I had focused on now? What would they think would be the priority? And I think things like that can kind of help us to clarify things morally. But then, of course, it's also about how to, once we, even once we realize what's the morally right thing to do, getting ourselves to make that psychological shift. And then it's about things which would, of course, be very familiar to you, the importance of, of recognizing, facing up to difficult emotions and working through them. The things that we can do to try and counter short-termism, like there's this great project which I talk about in the book, which is the Dear Tomorrow project, which you might be familiar with, which encourages um, parents to write to their children in 2050. And it really, I think that really helps parents to kind of crystallize, you know, the time frame and you know how old will my child be then what will their life be like then what do I want it to be like and then there is also um, the importance of kind of thinking about how we engage with the non-human world and helping our children to do that and of course that has as you know all sorts of mental health benefits as well so a lot of these are things that we can we'll actually find you know have direct benefits for ourselves and our children anyway. 
And what keeps you hopeful then through all of this? What have you learned that, because again, it, it can sound so dire, but that's not your perspective at all. This is a feel good book, and right? In the end, this is a feel good book. This is a hopeful, inspirational book. It's yeah, I'm very glad that you think that because it's pretty hard hitting in terms of we really have to face up to how hard things are. And that's a really difficult thing to do as a parent. But it is also hopeful because there is a huge amount that we can do as parents. And we start from a motivation like pretty much no one else has is that we really, really love our children and we want to to protect their future. So I found it incredibly um, hopeful working with talking to parent activists who are an incredible community and thinking about how much they have already done and how much um, is being built on that in different parts of the world, coming together, working with other climate and justice activists, but also working with each other on a, on a global level. That sense of community is incredibly hopeful. And I found that really, a really nice um, antidote, if you like, to the kind of attitude which is, oh, well, the children give us hope. Those youth activists are so amazing because, of course, they are amazing, but they shouldn't be the ones who are having to do this. It isn't their job to give us hope. The reverse is true. So I think it's about parents being able to earn hope um, for them themselves and that that I found that experience of working with that community and just the recognition of how much political and economic clout parents have if we were prepared to use it that that really I find hopeful as well um, and so if, if you were obviously everyone that's listening is located, I have quite a large audience in the US, uh, Canada, but also Europe and, and abroad. Um, so every geographic area is going to have a different political system. We've got people in Eastern Europe and the Ukraine and Bulgaria and listening. Um, so they're in different environments for, for them to take action. They don't necessarily have the same access to some of the things that we may have here. But if there was sort of a universal next step, besides obviously by the book. <laughs> um, if there was a universe, <laughs> if there was a universal next step in terms of saying, um, I was moved to do more than I'm doing now, and I want to do the most probably important next thing, what would be the next step for a parent who's motivated to say, I, I, I want to put this, uh, I, I do want to shift my definition of su successful parenting or what raising children successfully means by this new definition. Um, and I want to jump on this bandwagon. What's the one single next step that that would be helpful? Well, I mean, I'm, I would like to, to come back to this question of, of different parents being in different situations and how, you know, it's just not reasonable to to ask this um, of, of parents in, in some situations, how this also has to be about recognizing our privilege and, and what we can do with that. Um, but I think there are, there are three things that we can and should be doing. We should be thinking about how we raise our own children. We should be thinking about the, the lives that, in terms of educating them, but also then in terms of the lifestyle choices we make with them, living in a more sustainable way, a more respectful way. Um, and, but then most importantly of all, I think this has to be about being an activist. And I mean, that's not... That's not something that comes naturally to lots of parents. It didn't come naturally to me. I'm, I'm not a, I don't, I'm not a natural activist. It wasn't something I want to do. But I really do feel that now we are in a situation where I can't protect my kids alone, nor can you, nor can can any other parent. But we have this incredible voice that we can use by working together. So joining activist communities, whether it's parent activists or other. Um, climate justice or, or other justice focused communities um, 
that, that are available to you, thinking about the skills that you have and how much, how, how, what opportunities and resources you have and how best you can use them. So there's going to be a huge number of ways in which we could be activists. But I think that would be my next step. Think about who you can work with and how you can change what's happening. And, and that, to, to your point about that being universal, where, you know, if for one person it might be um, advocating to HR that they start a recycle program in the lunchroom, um, for, you know, for somebody else it might be going on a, on a march to make sure that we stop um, poaching elephants. I mean, it could, it could look so many different ways, but the idea is, is, is getting out and doing. It's the doing, right? It's the doing and it's the, the making our voice heard. I think it's recognizing that this isn't, I mean, I think lifestyle changes are really important for a lot of reasons, but individuals changing their lifestyles is not going to tackle climate change or antibiotic resistance. It's not going to prevent a future pandemic on its own. This has to be about governments and corporations changing, and that's not going to happen unless there's a lot of collective pressure put on them. And I think parents can play a really important role in that. Well, we, cer we certainly know in terms of, to your point about consumerism, who makes decisions in the family, um, you know, who makes up the majority of the workforce, uh, who, you know, who's going out there and, and voting for politicians in power, um, you know, parents, we... We're a big part of humanity. <laughs> exactly. We, we have this massive political clout. We have um, very substantial economic clout. If you think about all the different kind of products associated with with raising children. Um, and we also have existing networks like we, we already talk to each other, whether it's at the school gates or whether it's through big online communities. I mean, there are all sorts of ways in which parents interact. So so for all those reasons, I think we have a really amazing opportunity to work together. And this is one which a lot of parent activists and I interviewed some really amazing activists in the book that they're already doing. So it's there's already something that, that we can be part of. So I don't have to say to individual parents, oh, you have to start this. There's already people doing it. And you could be part of it. Yeah, join their team. You don't necessarily exactly, have to be exactly. the initiator. Yeah. Exactly. Um, do you have any that you want to call out, give a shout out to, um, that we can make sure that we at least have a couple of links in the show notes to, to some of the more prominent ones that you think well, are, that you're impressed with? Parents for Future are, are fantastic and they um, are, are present in, in very many countries. Um, there's um, Mums Clean Air Force in the States is, is, is another one that is definitely worth uh, mentioning. Um, and then there's, um, there's sort of global networks like Our Kids Climate that sort of bring together different um, communities, um, uh, global communities of, of parent activists. But there are, there are lots of, of, of different groups within different parts of the world. But Parents for Future is a good um, global one to start with. OK, well, I, I will make sure that we have a, a link to that in the uh, in the show notes. Um, is there anything that you uh, want to make sure that we make get the message out to parents? Obviously, as I say, the, the book is chock full of information for them and, and things to inspire them and action steps to move them forward to feel supported because of the work you've already done in pulling this together, interviewing these people, compiling all of this for people. So, so thank you for that massive contribution. We'll put the book in the show links. But in terms of our conversation today, I want to make sure that you get the opportunity to, to make sure that the key messages that you want our parents to hear listening to this get heard today. 
Thank you. Well, yes, I mean, I think we've covered the key thing, which is that this is about rethinking what it means to be a good parent and actually recognizing that doing the sort of inverted commas right thing by other people and doing what's right by our children actually have a lot more in common than we might tend to think they, they do. And that that can be really empowering, I think, is a recognition. But I think it's also worth stressing that that although we are all in this together, we're not in the same boat. I mean, so this is these threats are impacting some communities much worse than others. So the sort of the the parents that I'm speaking to, if you like, most in the book are broadly parents who are in relatively privileged situations like me, who have, you know, some capacity and time and money available to them. And equally, who are, you know, in those global societies who are, if you like, the problem when it comes to climate change. And for both those reasons, I think the onus is really on us to take action. But at the same time, it's crucial to be listening to the voices centering the experiences of mums and dads from more vulnerable communities because you know that that those are the are the ones whose whose children are first in the firing line if you like and who who have a real claim to be listened to so this is about it's about collective action in a very kind of inclusive way that's beautiful have you heard this term weird parenting it comes out I of California. I have heard it, but, but yeah, I, I, I haven't come across it in great detail. Yeah, weird, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. Yes, of course. <laughs> that, 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 came, that came out of California, but I, I think of that as you talk about, you know, this cohort of people that um, uh, have some power to make change. Uh, how we how we need to equalize things on the planet for everybody. Oh, amazing. Um, where, so how what's where can people keep finding you, following you, being inspired by you? I'll put the link to the book, obviously, in the show notes. But where else? What else? Wonderful. Well, I'm on um, Twitter as um, at EB Crips. Um, I also have um, my own website, which is elizabethcrips.weebly.com. Um, so those would be the, the sort of easiest places to find me online or, or on social media. But obviously, you know, my book is in is in bookshops and, and online. So um, so it's widely available. Wonderful. Well, listen, thank you for speaking to my audience here in Canada and people rush out and get that book. It's, uh, you know, this is um, part of her launch. And I'm really excited to keep this conversation going because the more people that can get this inside their mentality, the better we all benefit. So um, I'm going to be buying some gift copies. Thank you so much. And thank you for recognizing that ultimately this is this is a hopeful message. This is something that we we can do. And because we love our children so much, we really have the power to do it. So great. Thank you so much. Thank you. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit.